want to thank Nathaniel for leading us this morning. Thank you, Daniel, for sharing with us. Uh, I'd like to start with a quote. Uh, many of you know I love quotes. We are not called to bring all persons to Christ, but simply to bring Christ to all persons. We are not called to bring all persons to Christ, but simply to bring Christ to all persons. Today, as uh, we continue our series on uh, spiritual disciplines of the Christian life or spiritual disciplines for the Christian life, we come to evangelism. Uh, and I will say something in a moment about why this can be considered a spiritual discipline because not everybody does include it as one. Not everybody describes it as one. So, so I'll say something more about that in a moment. But I wonder, how do you respond personally to the prospect and the practice of evangelism. Donald Whitney, in his book that we're, many of us are reading together, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, he does include it. He actually includes it as a core discipline. And he makes the comment that nothing causes an eye-dropping, foot-shuffling anxiety more quickly among a group of Christians than talking about our responsibility to evangelize. And I reckon that that's probably fair, probably true, and it's true for all kinds of reasons, and therefore, I, I want to say a couple of things right up front as we get into this. And the first is that it would be quite easy for me to make everyone feel rather guilty about this subject. It would be really easy for me to do that, because I doubt if there are any of us here this morning who would say, those of us who follow Jesus, there would be many of us here this morning, I doubt if there was many of us here this morning who would say, that we are as evangelistic as we should be or as we could be. Now, there are a few exceptions, but I guess most of us feel that we don't share our faith. We don't share Jesus in word or deed anywhere near as much as we need to. And so it wouldn't be that difficult for me to stand up here this morning, give us all a hard time, pile on the pressure, and leave everyone feeling pretty rubbish about their lack of witnessing. That's not my intention. It's not what I'm about to do, although I do hope there is some challenge in what I share this morning. The second thing I wanna say by way of introduction is that evangelism in our world and in our context is hard. Possibly getting harder. To show and to share the good news or to show and to share the love of Jesus, and there is a succinct definition and description of evangelism that we'll come back to, but the show and the share, the good news of the love of Jesus today is increasingly countercultural. It's unusual. It isn't the norm. It requires effort and commitment, and on that point, evangelism is therefore no different from virtually all of the other spiritual disciplines that we have considered and we will consider. They're all increasingly out of the ordinary. Silence and solitude is out of sync with most people these days. Confession, admitting you are a sinner, confessing your sins to God, confessing your sins to one another is deeply countercultural. Sabbath, unplugging, worshiping the one true God, fasting. None of these come easily. None of those sit well with our culture and in our context. All of them require discipline. All of those set us apart as Christians, which means that evangelism isn't unique. 
It isn't out there compared to the others we've looked at and we will look at. But why should we include it as a spiritual discipline? Richard Foster doesn't. In his classic celebration of discipline that I know I've referred to time and time again, he doesn't include a chapter on evangelism. Many others who have written about spiritual disciplines don't include a chapter on evangelism, but some do, including the book that we are reading together. And the reason that Donald Whitney includes it and the reason I want us to include it is because I believe evangelism requires discipline, intention, practice. It requires all of those things if we are gonna show and share the good news and love of Jesus in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities, in our communities, in our world. And without that perspective, without recognizing that it requires discipline and intention and practice, without that resolve, the likelihood is we rarely will show and share, particularly the share, the gospel today. Whitney goes as far to say, I maintain that apart from making evangelism a spiritual discipline, most Christians will seldom share the gospel. What we don't plan for, we tend not to do. Same for all the disciplines. If we don't plan to practice Sabbath, if we don't plan to unplug that device, if we don't plan to confess our sins, we don't plan to rest, likelihood is none of these things will ever happen. And another reason why I believe we must or we should include evangelism in our list is to make sure, and this, this is a fear I have, it's to make sure that the disciplines don't just become about personal discipleship. I mean, they are about that. But personal discipleship has got to be outward as well as inward focused. It's got to take us beyond ourselves. Let's go back to our four reasons for this series, the four reasons for doing spiritual disciplines, for godliness or for holiness, to nurture our relationship with God because Jesus did them and because they guard our hearts. Those are good. Those four reasons still stand. They hold true. We're going to keep coming back to them. But the slight fear I have with these is that they can all sound, they can all come across as it's about me and God. It's all about me and God. True discipleship, in other words, truly following Jesus will always, must always lead to, involve, and create a heart for others, especially those who don't yet know Jesus. And so including evangelism as a spiritual discipline means and ensures that we pursue and that we live out an authentic Christian life, a Christ-centered life, someone who had a real heart for others. Here's how the Billy Graham Center puts it. True and effective practices of spiritual disciplines will always move us beyond ourselves and more and more into a life which sees others as made in the image of God. Our personal discipleship that we seek in the discipline comes to a crescendo in this. Our hearts are changed, and we are moved towards sharing and showing the love of Jesus with all those we meet. You see, if spiritual disciplines become about me and God, full stop, end of, then we're missing something. We're missing something vital. In fact, we may be missing everything. Remember our triangle? 
this visual reminder of how we should live up in out, up in our relationship with God and then flowing from that in in our relationship with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ and then out, out in our relationships with our friends and our neighbors and strangers and those who are not yet Christians. Spiritual disciplines must strengthen our relationships in all three directions and seeing evangelism as a spiritual discipline feeds and fuels that essential outward dimension. That sense we live others focused. God focused, yes, but others focused. And so with that in mind, let me, let me start to get specific. Let me, let me start to consider this discipline as it is. I, I don't necessarily need to do this, but it's important to remind all of us that evangelizing this idea, which really is about communicating the gospel, the good news about Jesus in word and deed, it's part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. It's what we've been commanded to do. It's what we've been commissioned to do. It's what we've been called to do. Whether we do it is another thing. But let me share some evidence of this idea that we're commanded to do this, we're commissioned to do this, we're called to do this, and let me share it from the lips of Jesus. And these are clearly not just words that he gave to his first apostles. They're relevant, they're applicable to each and every one of us. Therefore, go. Go make disciples, baptizing them, in the name of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go, go share this, go show this, go tell. Tell out my soul as we sang this morning. Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And Jesus said to them, repentance and the forgiveness of sins that should be proclaimed in my name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you that you will receive power. Started the service here this morning. Nathaniel read it to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's pretty explicit that, that witnessing, that sharing our faith, that telling others about Jesus is expected of all Christians. So why is it so hard? Because it is, isn't it? So hard. So increasingly unusual. It's, it's a real struggle. Why is that? Well, let me throw out a few reasons. The first is that you see some of us think that evangelism is a specific gift. And therefore it really only works for a select number of gifted people. Now there is no doubt that some men and women are gifted evangelists. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 we read, and he, that's God, gave the apostles, gave the prophets, gave the evangelists, gave the shepherds, gave the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So some people are gifted evangelists. They just can't seem to help tell people about Jesus. Comes so naturally to them. It's never forced. They almost always effortlessly guide a conversation around the spiritual matters. I know people like that. You know people like that. Some of those people are sitting here this morning. But although that is true, there are some specifically gifted evangelists. The Bible is also clear that all believers, all Christians 
are to be Christ's witnesses. And we have been empowered to be Christ's witnesses, and we've been given a powerful message to communicate. So one of the reasons I think we sometimes shy away from this, back away from this, is we think, well, it's not my gift. Another reason why this is so tough and why it requires discipline and intention and practice is because we have an enemy who will do all he can to ensure we don't. Satan clearly does not want Christians to show and share the love of Jesus. And therefore, he will make it as difficult and as awkward as he can. We're all familiar with Ephesians 6. You know that bit where Paul talks about wearing the armor of God? Because as Paul points out, our struggle, our struggle's not against flesh and blood. It's against dark, evil forces. And so Paul urges Christians to be fully and properly kitted out. But listen to the verse that immediately comes after he has identified the six items of armor that you've got to daily put on or put on on a regular basis. Here's what he says in the very next verse, Ephesians 6, 19. And pray also for me that, my, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, proclaiming the gospel, evangelism, requires prayer and protection because there's an enemy at large who does not want the good news about Jesus to get out there. So one of the reasons why we find it so hard is that we have underestimated, we've downplayed the reality of an enemy who does not want us to show and share the love of Jesus with anyone. We're in a battle. And therefore evangelizing is going to be hard. Let me give you a few more reasons why we find it hard. Where we avoid it. Why I avoid it. Fear. Striking up a conversation about Jesus, injecting Jesus into a conversation, scary. Fear of what other people will think about us. Fear of what other people will say. Fear of affecting that friendship, losing that friendship. We're afraid. What about fear of failure? We've tried this before. And it didn't work. In fact, it crashed and burnt big style. We've messed up so many times in the past that it just seems far easier to park it. Far easier just to stay quiet. Far easier to just remain under the radar. I'll just attempt to live this. I'll attempt to show this. But don't ask me to say anything. Because I've really messed up in the past when I've tried to. Lack of faith. Just don't believe anyone's going to take me seriously. I actually don't believe that change in another person's life is possible, especially that person. They seem so happy, so content. They don't need to hear what I've got to share. They don't need Jesus. Bad experience, far too many to mention. We've seen it done in a particular way, this evangelism thing. We've seen particular methods used, and we just want to run a mile from those. We want to distance ourselves from certain types of evangelism. Say so much more about that. We feel unprepared, ill-equipped. We wouldn't know what to say if somebody asked me that question, especially in this context that we live in today. There are certain issues that are going to come up, and I'm going to be asked, what do I think about this issue? And so just is so much easier to keep your head down. Because I just wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't know how to respond. Especially if they ask me about that. 
especially if they took the conversation in that direction. And then what about this? I'm not perfect. Who am I to tell anyone about Jesus? I have no right to speak into someone else's life about the need to seek forgiveness and the need to seek God. If only that person knew me. Plus, this is just too serious. What we're actually talking about are life and death issues, heaven and hell issues. This is about people's eternal destiny. This is just too serious for me. Let's just leave that to someone else. Or maybe to use a word I haven't come across before, we've got evangelophobia. I can't do this because I've got a problem. Do you know those are, at least most of them are, genuine understandable reasons why we might find this hard. And I'm not wanting to downplay any of those, not so sure about that, not wanting to downplay any of those or the weight that there is behind them. But you know something, these reasons cannot and must not stop us from evangelizing. They must not take us to a place where we draw a line under this discipline, this intention, this practice, this calling, this command, this commission. We've got to be honest. We've got to confront some of these obstacles, but whatever we do, we can't not show and share the love of Jesus. We can't not evangelize. Why? Because there's too much at stake. Too much at stake. And so for me, this requires discipline, intention, practice. But let me go back to something I mentioned in passing, and this is fundamental. Do you know, we are empowered to evangelize, and our message is powerful. Without this understanding, without this perspective, without this awareness, we probably will never practice this discipline. Yes, we need to be intentional. We need to be committed to this. We need to practice. But unless we appreciate, do you know something? I'm not on my own. The message that I have got to share is much more than words. Every Christian has been given the Holy Spirit without exception. We sang right at the start, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. If you're a Christian, you're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. And from the moment that he indwells you, he gives you power to witness, which is exactly what Jesus predicted and promised. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And since Pentecost, again, which Nathaniel read about this morning, since Pentecost, since the Holy Spirit has been given to all disciples and followers of Jesus, we have been empowered, we have been given power to witness, to evangelize, to show and share the love of Jesus with others. That doesn't mean that every Christian does it, evangelizes in exactly the same way. We are not pre-programmed robots, we're individuals. And so in ways and methods that are compatible with your personality, your gifting, your opportunities, your context, etc. You have the power to do it. You'll not do it the same as others, but you have the power to share Jesus and the good news of Jesus with others. End off, if you're indwelt by God, the Holy Spirit, that is just fact, that is truth. As I say, whether you do it or not, that's the issue, but you have the power to do it. Or rather, you've been empowered to do it. Secondly, the message that you share, the gospel you declare is powerful. It is embedded with the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is literally dynamic. It's dynamite. 
The gospel, the good news of Jesus is, to quote Paul, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel that we have the privilege and opportunity to show and to share is explosive. It, not us, transforms lives. That doesn't mean that every time we show and share the gospel that people will respond positively. It's not some kind of magic wand that you wave and the power of God automatically converts anyone who listens to you. What does the verse say? It says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Whether people believe or not is out of our hands, but we are empowered to share a powerful gospel. That's our responsibility. Whether someone accepts it or not, that's not down to us. Yes, we have a part to play, but salvation ultimately and always belongs to God. We have been empowered to be Christ's witnesses, and we have a powerful message to show and to share. So let me go back to the definition or description that I've been using. Because one of the things that people often do say, and and I... I gravitate in this direction, I'll be really honest. But one of the things people often say is, isn't it enough to show the love of Jesus to other people? Do I really have to share it? Is it not enough to just show it? There is no doubt that a a life that has lived for Jesus is a powerful witness. Daniel's heart this morning. This came through, didn't it? His desire. And it's not, it's not about going in tomorrow and just Daniel sharing the gospel inwards with all of us. He can't do that. And that's not what I'm meaning. But we all heard Daniel's heart this morning. His desire to go into work and to be that witness because Jesus shines through him. And that has got to be our desire as Christians to all of us. We've got to want to show Jesus to our colleagues and our friends and our neighbors and our classmates and uni friends. But is it just enough to show it? Our lives, yes, should be the aroma of Christ. We are to let our light shine so that others may see our good deeds and what may they do, may they praise our Father in heaven. But sooner or later, we've got to share the gospel as well. This may sound a bit extreme, but there's some truth in this. The example of Christianity saves no one. But the message does. Do you know the gospel, the good news about Jesus, that is the power of salvation. And therefore, it's about life and lip. It's about deed and word. It's about example and explanation. The most powerful ongoing witness has always been the speaking of God's word by the one who is living God's word, both and, never, either, or. The most powerful ongoing Christian witness has always been the speaking of God's word by the one who's living God's word. And so as we finish, and I know I haven't covered all I should have covered or could have covered, but as we finish, one of the challenges that is raised And it's a challenge that's laid out for us in the chapter of the book we are reading is this. Do we know the gospel well enough to share it? Do we know the gospel well enough to share it? Could we speak it? 
Could we articulate it if given the chance? What would you say? What would I say? What would I include? What would I cover? What would I talk about? Maybe this is partly where the discipline comes in. This is where the intention comes in. I need to know this. I need to learn this. I need to practice this. Now, there is no one way. There is no prescribed set of words that you must use if you're going to share the gospel. And I know some people use different methods and different diagrams and different means of doing it. And those are all great. There is no one way. But let me share with you one that I'd like to pass on that you might want to learn. You might want to practice as a discipline for evangelism. And it uses the six letters of the word gospel. And at the end, I may show a video of somebody sharing this and articulating this far more creatively and better than I can. It's a video I'm a bit nervous to show because I don't think everybody's going to like it, but hey-ho. But we'll see how we get on and how brave I'm feeling if I'm going to show it at the end. But anyway, this, this is a way of presenting the gospel using these six letters. And so I didn't come up with this. This has come from an organization called Life in Six Words by Dare to Share. So here is the good news explained in six key truths of the gospel journey. And it is simple. God, in the beginning, God, it starts with God. God created us to be with him. God created the universe, everything in it, including the first man, the first woman, those whom he made in his image. And they lived in right and perfect relationship with God. They lived in right and perfect relationship with each other. They lived in right and perfect relationship with creation. One command, that was all God gave them, one command, don't eat of this particular tree. You see, it was God's plan that you and I would live in perfect relationship with him. But one, just one evil act wrecked all that. And so our sin, our sin, their sin, but infused our sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve did the very thing they were commanded not to do. They ate, they sinned, and immediately what happens, they hide from God. Shame enters our world. And as a consequence of shame entering our world, as a consequence of sin entering our world, death and destruction crashed in, and every human being born thereafter enters this world sinful and selfish. And the blame game started, and so Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. And humanity's been playing the blame game ever since. You see, sin, this thing that crashed into our world, it can't be removed just by, by good deeds. It can't be removed by anything else for that matter. And so God, God in his grace and his mercy, God in his grace and his mercy sets in motion this plan to rescue humanity who he created to be in relationship with him. And paying the price for the sin that wrecked his world, Jesus comes and dies and raises again. God came to earth as one of us. He lived the perfect life. He died the ultimate death. Jesus sacrificed his life. His body was broken. His blood was shed in place of our sin, in our place. He pays the price for our freedom. He takes the blame that we want to pass on to everyone else. And three days later, he rises again, and he confirms his power over death, and he declares that everyone absolutely Everyone who trusts in him and him alone will have eternal life. God loved this world. God loved you and me so much that he sent Jesus. And all of us who believe in Jesus, we won't perish. We won't die eternally, but we will have everlasting life. And life 
with Jesus. It starts now. Life in all its fullness, abundant life, starts now, lasts forever. When we put our faith in Jesus, when we place our trust in Jesus, when we believe in him, that relationship that we were created for is restored right now, and it is ours forever because we will spend eternity in paradise with God. That is the gospel. May we show it and share it with those we meet this week. Back to my opening quote, we're not called to bring all persons to Christ, but simply to bring Christ, the good news of Jesus to all persons. You know, that's what a group of people from this church are doing every single Thursday night with international students at Malone Avenue. That's what they're doing every single Thursday. Please pray for them. Do you know, that's what Margot and Eduardo, who stood up here last Sunday morning, that is what they left on Thursday to go to Lima to do. That is what Nathaniel and Donna and OMF are wanting people to do in Asia. That is what we all leave here now, today, to do in Belfast and Lisburn and Ballyclare and Carrick or Seinfeld, wherever you're from. If the spiritual discipline of evangelism has been lost or forgotten, are avoided. Let me encourage you to practice it afresh. And so as we close, going to do it, okay? So as I say, certain aspects of this you may not like or whatever, but I, here's somebody explaining what I attempted to explain far more articulately and far more creatively. Enjoy the message. Turn it up. It's the full story of life crushed into four minutes. The entirety of humanity in the palm of your hand crushed into one sentence. Listen, it's intense, right? God, our sins, paying everyone life. The greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told, God. Yes, God, the maker and giver of life. And by life, I mean any and all manner and substance, seen and unseen, what can and can't be touched. Thoughts, image, emotions, love, atoms, and oceans, God. All of it is handiwork, one of which is masterpiece, made so uniquely that angels look curiously. The one thing in creation that was made with his imagery, the concept, so cold. It's the reason I stay bold, how God breathed in a man and he became a living soul. Formed with the intent of being infinitely, intimately fond, creator and creation held an eternal bond. And it was placed in perfect paradise till something went wrong. A species got deceived and started lusting for his job and odd list of complaints. As if the system ain't working and used that same breath he graciously gave us to curse him. And that sin seed spread through our soul's genome. And by nature of your nature, your species, you participated in the mutiny. Our, yes, our sins. It's nature inherited, black in the human heart. It was over before it started. Deceived from day one and led away by our own lust. There's not a religion in the world that doesn't agree that something's wrong with us. The question is, what is it? And how do we fix it? Are we eternally separated from a God that may or may not have existed? But that's another subject. Let's keep grinding. Besides trying to prove God is like defending a lion, homie. It'll need your help. Just unlock the cage. Let's move on on how our debt can be paid. Short and sweet. The problem is sin. Yes, sin. It's a cancer. 
an asthma, choking out our life force, forcing separation from a perfect and holy God. And the only way to get back is to get back to perfection, but silly us trying to pass the course of life without referring to a syllabus. This is us. Keep up your good deeds. Chant, pray, meditate. But all of that, of course, is spraying cologne on a corpse. Or you could choose to ignore it as if something don't stink. It's like stepping in dog poop and refusing to wipe your shoe. But all of that ends with how good is good enough. Take your silly list of good deeds and line them up against perfection. Good luck. That's life past your pay grade. The cost of your soul, you ain't got a big enough piggy bank. But you could give it a shot. But I suggest you throw away the list, because even your good acts are an extension of your selfishness. But here's where it gets interesting. I hope you're closely listening. Please don't get it twisted. It's what makes our faith unique. Here's what God says as part A of the gospel. You can't fix yourself. Quit trying. It's impossible. Sin brings death. Give God his breath back. You owe him. Eternally separated. And the only way to fix it is someone die in your place. And that someone got to be perfect or the payment ain't permanent. So if and when you find a perfect person, get him or her to willingly trade their perfection for your sin and death in. Clearly, since the only one that can meet God's criteria is God, God sent himself as Jesus to pay the cost for us. His righteousness. His death functions as payment. Yes, payment. Wrote a check with his life, but at the resurrection, we all cheered because that means the check cleared. Pierced feet, pierced hands, blood-stained son of man, fullness, forgiveness, free passage into the promised land. That same breath that God breathed into us, God gave up to redeem us. And anyone and everyone, and by everyone, I mean everyone, who puts their faith and trust in him and him alone can stand in full confidence of God's forgiveness. And here's what the promise is, that you are guaranteed full access to return to perfect unity by simply believing in Christ and Christ alone. You are receiving life. Yes, life. This is the gospel. God, our sins, paying everyone life. Let's stand together. As we close, we're not going to sing again. Just want to take a moment's silence. I know we've had silence this morning. We've been thinking about silence and solitude last week. I love the time of silence we have around the Lord's table. I know it's not comfortable for everyone. And I love the time of silence that Stephen led us in last week. And I know tonight, Paul, who's leading our service, is going to lead us in a time of silence. And so now, just in the silence, I invite you to respond. 